You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Should I'll, I have said guten Morgen? I don't. Probably. Because that would have been a different. Actually, just yeah. not repeating you. I think. Day and morning. That's it. Right? Yeah. That's I'm fine. fairly sure of that. We're good. As someone who speaks no German. I know about nine words. That's about it. Nine words. Yeah. I guess I know danke. Danke schön. I can count a little tiny bit. I also know some choice words that are not appropriate for uh, I wasn't polite go there, society. But that's absolutely true. It's kind of. I don't know what cliche this is, but it's kind of the first thing. Like, but how do I. How do I offend? Yes. <laughs> That's what a great I, idea. I, a new language. How can I just wreck my reputation in their society? I insult you. Truthfully, I think the impetus is the opposite. How can, yes. I, how can I exercise my boiling emotion without offense? Yes. Using something to obfuscate <laughs> what I can What a great word. <laughs> what a great word. Yeah. I picked up my range of those German words from a book called The Book Thief. Are you oh, familiar? I'm not familiar Delightful at all. novel. It's about a young girl in Nazi Germany who is trying to, basically she's trying to save books from oh, book burnings and yeah. whatnot and et cetera. It's, cool. a, it's obviously a lot more involved than that, but that'll give you kind of the premise of what's going on. Yeah. It's written in English, but... Oh, okay. <clears throat> or it was translated, I don't remember which, but yeah. a number of German words remain. Oh. They come through. So. Speaking of, a weird tangent, I know, but speaking of like books within the genre, I remember growing up, I had to read numbered the stars i've never even heard of this it, it is number sort of the stars number impossible the stars. <laughs> funny abraham um, <laughs> is it a book about abraham <laughs> it has to do with like that era of nazi germany mm. and like trying to hide ah. essentially like in escape the gestapo and then there was another book by ellie weitzel but oh yeah what... night or night, that's right mm-hmm. yeah interesting very harrowing stories oh yes but like probably i don't know one of the more interesting i think it's one of the more interesting times in society because it's like the villainy is so dark, it's almost impossible to imagine. Yes. But they also lost. So that's helpful. Yes. Very helpful. Praise <sighs> God. Yeah. Well, anyway, you know what's better than Nazi Germany is anything, anything basically. Basically, other yeah. than like Most hell, probably. Other dictatorial other, regimes. Yes, etc. But especially podcasts and yeah. theology. Good Love theology. Big fan. Christian theology. We're big fans here. <laughs> we are. <laughs> And today, we continue our mini-series on Ligonier's State of Theology. All right. So I'm going into a different... What is that accent? It's not an accent. It's just something I do sometimes. (laughs) I get into this weird thing. But today, we're looking at the inspiration of the Bible. Okay. Okay. Yes. Not like saying that's so inspired like in the artistic sense of the word (laughs) you know what i mean like when you look at a painting you're like wow that guy was inspired when he did that you know like you're just saying like oh that was really well done excellent piece of art you know yeah i mean that's really a dramatic way of saying that so when we say the bible's inspired we mean it in the this is breathed out by god and is his very word sense of the word yeah, that's what we mean right. in fact when we say things like the bible is the inspired word of god we're actually saying something more like the bible is inspirated okay. inspirated is i don't I'm know saying? how you would want to say that word but like it's it is inspirated by the holy spirit infused by spirit with spirit yes i, I don't know i'm trying something to, like that I'm workshopping it. yeah we're we're making it up as we go a little bit i mean not really but you know what not i'm saying no not theologically no 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 because the term inspired comes from a Latin word, inspirare. I don't know if I'm saying that right because okay. I've not yet taken Latin. That is, I would have, that's on the docket for later. I would have gone. But not yet. This is I definitely wrong. This is my definite wrong pronunciation. I would have gone inspirare. 
Oh no, that may be even better. Inspirare. I just made that up. No, yeah. What a Inspirare. I bet that's we can circle back. Correct. We will. <laughs> Remind me in like two years after I've taken Latin at seminary, then I'll come back and be like, hey, here's how we <sighs> how we say that. Either way, whatever that Latin word is and however you pronounce it, it means to breathe or blow into. So the word was actually originally used of a divine or supernatural being in the sense of imparting a truth or an idea to someone. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So inversely, just for fun, the term expire means the breath or spirit has gone out from something, which gives whole new meaning to when we say the milk's expired. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying there? Yeah, you know I do. I, mean? I do. I'm pretty sure my, I feel my soul expire when I, <laughs> when I have that surprise. Oh, hello, <laughs> milk. <laughs> have you ever poured a glass of milk oh, without. No, 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 no. I, I catch it with I catch it with my olfactory senses. <laughs> That's Ethan's fancy way of saying with his nose. Yeah, only a handful of times have I ever That's not bothered rough. to do that, and I do regret it immediately. Yeah. I do feel my Gotta soul that temporarily. Non dairy coconut milk. <laughs> It lasts, brother. <laughs> Those things do last. That is true. Also, organic milk lasts. Really? By the way. I've yeah, been... we do organic milk. We're talking months. We're, we're all months around. before our society's lost. Expires. We got to so. go back. Amen. <laughs> I say that with a big asterisk. When, well, I say, yes. when I say go back, I really specifically just mean I would like to know it's like the milk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So anyway, yes, the statement in the Ligonier State of Theology that we're looking at today is, quote, The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths but is not literally true. Whoa, okay. So Ligonier really, they're showing their hand with the end of that sentence. It's Yes. They're they're tipping their cards. And we will circle back to... What do you mean by literally true? Because okay. we've, we've talked about this in another podcast too, but again, we're going to have to come back and yeah. revisit that because okay. a lot of how we understand inspiration and infallibility comes back to how we take the word literally yeah. in a case like that. So that said, though, I think here's a statement where Christians are still generally doing well, professing Christians, right? Yeah, okay. Only 27% of Christians agree with that statement. Mm, that it's not literally true. Yeah, so that means that three out of four Christians do believe that mm. the Bible is a sacred book that is literally true. It's great. And like I said, we'll talk about caveats around the word literal, but I just want to first acknowledge like, that's good news. You yeah. Know, that's helpful. Yeah, yeah. And I think I when, when I read that, I was assuming the interpretation of that word with like the best of intentions. Yes. So Yes. Not like a, well, we'll get to that later. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get ahead of myself. Now, what is interesting with this statement is that on the side of the general U.S. adult population, there has been a clear and consistent trend with this survey since 2014 at least, that shows U.S. adults increasingly do think that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful stuff but is not literally true. So in 2014, 41% of U.S. adults said that. And that number has climbed up every year through 2022, where we now have 53% of adults saying that. So I'm not surprised, I don't think, by the fact like, oh yeah, a general U.S. adult population agrees with that statement. I think it's just, it is this steady trend of increase. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think if you're a person who does not have strong religious beliefs, I think that's probably an easy compromise yeah. to make if you're being questioned. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's a way to offer an olive branch, but never quite feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Or let's say like, you're relatively unconvinced. There's plenty of overlap with the law of the land for you know even the most staunch pragmatist to say, oh yeah, helpful enough. Yeah. Helpful like, things. To don't murder? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's good. Glad that that's been around for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think I'm just not particularly surprised. Yeah, no, totally fair. I get why that wouldn't sound too surprising to us and hopefully 
hopefully our listeners, you know, they're probably like, oh, yeah, no, that all makes sense. Why are you guys circling the wagon on this so much? But I do think why that might be significant for us is, well, I'll just say it the way part of the survey did. If folks relegate scripture to the same category as other religious writings and purportedly sacred texts, it can make it easy, actually exactly on your point, to accept biblical teaching that they resonate with while Mm. simultaneously rejecting any biblical teaching that is out of step with their own personal views or broader cultural right. values. Why well, wrestle with uncertainty if I, I can just do this a la carte, right? Yeah, yeah, right, which is, <laughs> is interesting. And I think you could get into a long discussion that we won't hear, but like because scripture was so formative in say, like the Western tradition, you might have that where I think you, would, you wouldn't have that so much with like, oh, we're going to look at a Buddhist text or a Hindu text or Muslim text and do the same thing with it. Mm. Like, cause we're like, oh, that's something like totally different. Like we're going to, mm. we're going to treat that differently Yeah, because this is sort of within more of our bubble. Exactly. Oh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So anyway, that's another podcast for another time if, if we decide to do that. But in short, this means that we can expect a general acceptance, even among secularists of certain biblical statements you know like we said earlier like don't murder or even if you just take the statement like god is love and you just leave it at that (laughs) Uh, the problem is when we try to flesh out what that statement means in more concrete categorical terms because that's a point when people might generally either stop listening or just kind of be like you know to each their own or they might try to argue back and the point i would want to drive home in light of all this is how important it is for us to know what paul called uh, the whole counsel of god as reflected in the totality of scripture, Hmm. because it's easy even for us as Christians uh, to pick out a few favorite verses or theological hobby horses to the neglect of what all of scripture says, you know? And I know that's true even for me. I I completely agree. It's very, it's unfortunately familiar. Yeah, which is why I do find it helpful. I try on a fairly regular basis, and you've participated in some of these discussions, Hmm. to get out of my own theological biblical bubble and talk to people who profess truly within the community of Christendom and talk to them about theological biblical stuff Yeah, because it sharpens the things that I think in my convictions, but also gives me opportunity to say like, oh, well, you know what? Maybe I've been ignoring a blind spot yeah, exactly. and I need to give more thought to that. And yeah. I would never have done that if I hadn't had yeah. a conversation with, you know, uh, you know, if, if John Paul Nardelli is listening to this podcast right now, <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. You know, if I hadn't talked to John Paul about, you know, X, Y, or Z thing. Yeah. And because the problem with that is if you just get into this sort of hobby horse theological echo chamber That way madness lies, as the poets would say it, right? And here's an example from scripture itself, because again, this isn't a new phenomenon. How many phenomenon are really new? But we know, for example, that the Bible has a great deal to say about how humans view and think about, and this sounds like a utilitarian weird word to use, but like use their sexuality. And that could lead some people to say, if they take certain teachings disproportionately and wrongly, to say things like, well, you know, since sex has so much potential for havoc and sin, let's just forbid sex and marriage altogether. Mm. Let's just get rid of it, which, in fact, was something Paul had to deal with because he writes in First Timothy four that there were some who, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Wow, that's, that's tough. But they forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So they're like essentially refashioning biblical teaching in their own image. Yeah. Or like uh, overcorrecting for the sake of a pet issue. Right. I guess I, I have to imagine though like i mean he describes this as the insincerity of liars yeah not soft language no 
a little unsettling, actually. Um, yes. But I want to say that like, I feel like we can back ourselves into a similar pattern without any ill intent, yes. per se, which is no way in, meant to excuse it. I'm actually thinking, no. like, because malicious or not, it's essentially the same misstep that he's speaking so strongly about. Whether you intentionally overcorrect to control or whether you find yourself backing into something for what was once the right reasons. Yes. And to see this criticism, I think, should really give us pause. Yes. And on the other side of that, to your point... Mm-hmm. I can't remember where it is now off the top of my head, but Paul also writes about people who are constantly hearing but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth Hmm. and no ill intent. Like they're not out here trying to be like these guys. Like you said, they're not liars, you know, insincere liars whose consciences are seared. They're just people who are like, yeah, like we just can't get our heads around the truth. (sighs) And again, yeah, like that does create issues with or without ill intent. Yeah, You just don't want to be in that place. Now, obviously, Paul does not think highly of the folks who, you know, especially are on the ill intent side (laughs) of the spectrum. Right. But that approach in general is not good, right? Even if someone does not mean ill by saying, hey, you know, sex creates so many problems, let's just forbid marriage. Like, even if you're trying to do something good, you're trying to prevent sexual sin. Yeah. You're not actually doing anyone any good <laughs> by that approach to it. True. Which, again, I'm trying to reinforce, we have to know the whole counsel of God to think and feel and live properly. If you know, okay, sex has great potential for damage and sin, while holding in your mind, oh, God created it. In the beginning, he created male and female. He created them in the image of God and gave them to one another in marriage and said, be fruitful and multiply. You're going to hold both of those at the same time and say, okay, yes, you can really sin with this, but also God made it and it's good. So we need to figure out how to use it properly. Mm. But you need the whole counsel of God to do that. If you focus just on one to the exclusion of the other, you start running into problems. Yeah. Right? Now, as promised, there might be some who get hung up on that word literally in the statement, the accounts of the Bible are literally true. And as you pointed out, as I pointed out, as we've pointed out multiple times now, how many times can I use that word? Point it out. We've broached this subject on the podcast previously, and you can find that if you search sure. it somewhere, There's you know, yeah, Google, you know, literalism or something like that. You'll probably pull it up. But the short deal is this. Everything depends on what we mean by the word literally. Yeah. As is often the case, it depends on what you mean. So, for example, if we read Psalm 94:22, which says that God is our rock. Do we take that statement literally to mean that God is a physically hard piece of granite? Mm. The obvious answer is no. Marble, perhaps? Yes, marble. Yes, no, he's marble. No, we don't take that statement literally in that sense. The psalmist is using a metaphor to convey a literal truth, Mm. namely that God is reliable, unshakable, he cannot be moved, etc., right? Of course. And this is something we can't get away from in language, (laughs) okay? As C.S. Lewis would say, we can become more abstract and obtuse in our language, But even if we're doing that, we cannot become less metaphorical. (laughs) Because even if I say something as vague as, by means of my sensory perception, the notion of gravitational force entered into my mind. The words entered into are still metaphorical because the notion wasn't a literal thing that actually walked into my mind through some literal open door. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like that's still metaphorical language, even though it's obtuse. (laughs) It was hard to follow that without metaphor. Yeah. But so, by all means, more power to the metaphor. Right, yes. And so, we read the Bible, and it talks like this all the time, and we talk like that all the time. It can be very poetic. Yes, exactly. I mean, there's a whole book of the Bible called the Psalms that (laughs) just is (laughs) exactly poetry. So, yes, we ought to believe the Bible literally. So, again, uh, you know, if you listen to the other episodes, we make this point, but I'm not out here suggesting that... Now we're going to go take the Bible and say like, well, we don't need to believe it and blah, 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 blah. We ought to believe that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, to use another example. And whatever other example you want to throw in there. But if we take metaphors 
and make the metaphor itself literally true, we not only get obvious absurdities, but in many cases, we actually get downright blasphemies. Oh, yes, that's for sure happened. Right? Yeah, exactly. So Jesus is not physically a green plant any more than we're little green offshoots that grow grapes out of our ends. Right? Be, like That'd be pretty fun. Yeah, well, yeah, we say, superpower, magical grape for a snack. <laughs> but there is a literal truth communicated there, which is namely, we have a real union with the God-man Jesus by faith, and the result of that union should be good fruit which is yet another metaphor, right? <laughs> the good fruit, a metaphor for good works exactly. and thought, words, deeds, etc. Yeah, I mean, if we can't express creatively, there's a point at which we can't express it all. Like, right. it makes it all the more richer, so long as you can commit to navigating the nuance, I think. Right, yes. And, you know, we learn how to speak this way without much problem. You know, we do it, in fact, so frequently, it's kind of funny because yeah. I use little figures of speech I don't think about. And my oldest daughter, Abigail, is in the phase of language <laughs> development where she's not quite privy to what yeah. a metaphor is or how it works. So I'll have done something wrong or missed something and I'll I'll say, oh, drop the ball on that. And she'll look at me and go, where's the ball? Yeah. Like, I don't see a ball. How did you, when did you drop a ball? Like, no, no. Like, Abigail, this is. It's hidden it's, in the shadows of my guilt. <laughs> There's another one. See, shadows. <laughs> anyway, yes. So that's all we have to say yeah. on that particular statement. And hopefully that proves helpful to us as we read our Bibles and as we interact with those who are thinking about the Bible and whatnot. So thanks as always for listening. (laughs) If this was helpful and you want to leave us an honest five-star review in the Apple podcast platform, that would be awesome. If you want to throw in some metaphors in there, you know, little <laughs> some similes, analogies, if you will, uh, you know, just to spice things up a little bit, it'd be cool. I mean, we great. wouldn't say no. That'd be great. I, I think no. it'd be pretty exciting, actually. Yeah, yeah no, it'd be awesome. And uh, if you want to share this with your friends, you can do that if you found it helpful. And if you have any questions on this or any other topic, as always, feel free to email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net. Yeah. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll catch you next time.